What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a rainy Tuesday night in New York City. Um, with that being said, I'm sure you can hear him giggling in the background. I'm very excited to introduce our de- our guest this week, founder of Tetris Capital here in New York City. We've got Tom Garambone. Tom, welcome to the pod. How you doing, Marty? How you doing, freaks? I've been waiting. I've been, been wanting to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're doing all right. I hope you guys are doing all right. Exciting day in the crypto world. We're going to get into what happened at uh, Deconomy in Seoul a little bit in the podcast. But first, this is Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. How did you discover Bitcoin? So, um, all the way back, it was 2012, so I was a freshman in college. So, I was at Duke University studying um both economics and engineering, and uh, this was freshman year, and I happened to be in my freshman dorm with a bunch of engineers, um, and it, it was funny. It was within this is one week period. I heard about it twice. First from um, my neighbor at the time, who is a pretty hardcore engineer and who's just getting into it, and he actually started mining it in his dorm. Second time was a guy who's in my fraternity very different path of discovering it. Um, I'd heard about the Silk Road from um, from his friends in high school. And so second time I heard about it, I took it a little more seriously. And in that moment, I found out about Silk Road, Dark Web, Bitcoin, all that fun stuff within like the same 30-minute time period. But, but I think it clicked for me almost immediately because I was studying you know, engineering and economics, that hybrid. Also, I would say leaning hard libertarian at that point i would say i'm pragmatic libertarian now but i feel like if i wasn't the type of person who's going to be drawn to it at that time i don't know who um but yeah so in 2012 was kind of the first foray then i had been kind of you know, trading since high school didn't really implement it into my personal portfolio until about 2014 so i started digging into it a lot deeper then that was also to the point where you know, i wanted to make sure that i knew what i was talking about so I could also impress the ladies too. Oh, but ladies were interested in Bitcoin at this <laughs> no, point. No, still, still, still not. There, there, was about, there was about like a three-week period where I would say the broader public thought it was cool, and now it's it's back. It's back to not being cool. Um, back to ramen. Yeah, but yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was kind of the. I think most there's two different types of people who found Bitcoin. Like that early on, I'd say it was like the cryptographers, like the hard CS, crypto, cypherpunk crowd, and then a, like a group of degens in college. And mm-hmm. I, th- I, I was just lucky to have the kind of weird background to like be interested in, I guess you could say. Yeah. No, I definitely fall into the uh, the latter of that group, those two groups you just described, uh, the, the degens. Um and it's always interesting to see, to hear how people got into this space. Did you have sort of the common thread where people find it and then disregard it for a little bit and then then sort of pick it back up in earnest, or did you go like full throttle right away? Was it like an immediate aha moment? Yeah, I mean it, the I'd say the same thing about Ethereum a little bit as well. Um, but Bitcoin, yeah, the 2012. I mean, price volatility is crazy. I actually didn't really start getting fully interested until like Mt. Gox happened, and so mm-hmm. it kind of hit public consciousness then. And so I'd always kind of been you know, thinking more macro about just like portfolio management. I'd always been a fan of, of gold and kind of that asset class exposure. Um, I thought, like early, even in 2012, I thought that there was this rising group of like these digital assets that could be competing with gold in this realm. And so when it came more into like public light and there was a little better infrastructure to actually buy these things in a non-sketchy way, that's when I took like the full dive into actually owning it and really trying to understand it. So like, I think, and like, it was what I recommend to people who are trying to get interested in the space. Like you kind of need to have skin in the game before you really start to, um, you, you really start going down the rabbit hole like mm-hmm. you, if you don't have skin in the game it's it's kind of this passive interest they just keep hearing people talk about it's once you kind of have a little skin in the game it's then okay i actually didn't <laughs> know what i'm talking about so, um yeah college kid me that's kind of when it happened yeah no I, I think my aha moment was when i first moved my shit to a personal wallet it was like I, i'd sit on coinbase and 
luckily I'd gotten some good advice from from some people early on and was quick to move my stuff into a personal wallet and the first time I like created a seed phrase and yeah what, what, what did you do that what year was that and, and what did you exactly do the interviews have turned and that was about <laughs> like 2014 okay 2014 probably like around the summer 2014 and I used Electrum wallet um so electrum.org one of their yeah, desktop yeah, wallets uh use that because it's open source I would recommend it if you're going to use a desktop wallet would not recommend a desktop wallet as a go-to wallet uh, especially if you connect it to the internet frequently but if you have a laptop laying around that you don't use too often and you want to download an Electrum wallet create a seed phrase uh, I don't see any problem with that it's an open source software project uh, that's that's audited all the time by people looking at it Um, so I I would just be careful with multi-sig stuff there could, there could be some leakage. But that's that's a whole other. Why do you say that? There there could be some leakage in, in actual the the seeds. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you say? Well, we, we 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 can get 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 onto that. I think there are better ways of doing. Is this going to uh, twelve word versus twenty four word seeds or? I think it's all of them actually. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that's a topic for another podcast. So you discovered Bitcoin in college. Now you run a hedge fund here in New York City, the city of sin. That's Vegas, but I'm going to call New York the city of sin. because there's different types of sin. There's a lot, very, very different types of sin. Both hedonistic in a sense. Um, but, so what was your path from interested Bitcoin hodler to hedge fund founder? Yeah, so I was, so I studied engineering and economics in college um, and ended up going down the Wall Street path right after school. I spent some time in like an equity link converts group at JP Morgan and then I thought I wanted to go into private equity so I jumped over to Deutsche Bank and went to their financial sponsors group which focuses on leverage buyouts. So like the plan was always the plan the plan was always um, kind of going down this hedge fund or private equity path eventually. It's definitely been um, the the path has definitely compressed for a lot of weirdness that's happened in the last couple of years. Um, but so, and I'd, I'd always been this guy. So starting twenty fourteen, you, you kind of just naturally become an evangelist to every, everybody that you know, <laughs> and it's just been a growing position in my own personal portfolio of being in investment banking. You can't actually trade single names as well, so. That forced me to do two things in terms of my personal portfolio it was getting out of single names and trading ETFs or more specifically options on, on ETFs <laughs> and, and crypto. Um, and so in 2016, I kind of shifted more and more of my portfolio into all of this. Um, as I said, the kind of story about Ethereum is, is a little similar, um, very different kind of now. We can get into that. but. <laughs> Uh, my partner Brendan was actually the first person to tell me about Ethereum in 2015, and that was that was like a dismissal the first time I heard about it. And that was in the realm of like nothing will be able to compete with Bitcoin. Bitcoin just has this Lindy effect that mm-hmm. you know, I don't, there's nothing that can dethrone it, right? And so I came back to that about like maybe three or four months later when I, I heard a little bit more about it. And so this was like middle of 2016, and. Um, then I went kind of down the full rabbit hole with Ethereum, and I think there was a period of time where I did believe that it could, um, <laughs> and that, that was kind of at the right time. But I, I think I still remain like had this pretty rational head about like what Bitcoin was in Ethereum, and I think from over the course of 2016, when I really evolved and made the the thought of like what is Ethereum, what is Bitcoin, pretty concrete in my head, and like what are the value propositions, like what is the like actual value, so. Heading into 2017 is when it actually everything really exploded into the public consciousness. Um, I was I was kind of like evenly split with with Bitcoin and Ethereum. <coughs> Oof, I would say the wine. <laughs> the wine, or is it that 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 sugary soda yeah, you brought into I got, this? I, that I had poison. Stop, I had to stop by here to get a diet coke. That poison you brought I, that, into that's this that's office. My, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say heading into 2017, um, early. 2017 was when like I distinguished between like what Bitcoin is and Ethereum but I saw the massive kind of explosion of Ethereum that was about to come and so like most of my investment thesis on Ethereum from like the 15 to 400 the, the first time was 
like almost I was like this 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 meme of like MySpace is definitely gonna catch on like it definitely works with the, VC, with the VC crowd and so like th- that's an example of like a psychological momentum trade which I don't recommend <laughs> people do but I, like I thought it was it was very very clear what was happening um, but what was, what was the original question? Um, how'd you get path from so okay so that'll have observer yeah. to hedge fund so that'll happens. Um, so my first year in investment banking was I was almost was like completely dominated by working on this one deal. It was ADT, Apollo, private equity firm, um, bought ADT, the security company, through one of its portfolio companies called Protection One. It was, it was it's it's the largest LBO like excluding like Dell EMC since the financial crash. So that just like absorbed my life for a year, um, and like. I think that had two things that that made me become more of a hermit. That <laughs> also got me really deep into kind of this SaaS or like the SaaS type model businesses. And so from there, I like I worked on this deal and went really well. Um, I had a lot of flexibility in terms of what I could work on for like the next year. I was in banking, and I kind of completely shifted towards mat- all mature SaaS type businesses, uh, data centers. E-wallets is like a, a kind of weird niche. Uh, oh, they're all kind of different in a lot of ways, but I was able to kind of take on that specific type of market investment banking. That ended up being a really good background to understanding kind of this growing infrastructure. But uh, the reason why I'm explaining all this is, is kind of all this actually came out of working on this one uh, e-wallet company. And so I was working with my boss um, on this deal. And so this was like end of 2016. And so, like, I'm kind of creating this deck for, like, w- like, all the economics and kind of comps and everything. And so I show it to him. And he's, he just asked me, he's like, what do you think, like, just broadly about this? And I, said, I, was, I thought it was a concern that they hadn't brought up, like, any blockchain or any innovation happening in the fintech at all. Like, I mean, they had their own innovation, but kind of broader outside of what they were talking about. And so... Um, I was I like I was like it's concerning that they're not even mentioning like, like blockchain, which isn't would have meant that they were extremely far ahead of the time if they had mm-hmm. it all. But I was like it's concerning for for this whole industry because blockchain is this massive new innovation, right? So he's like I I don't know like what that is like what is that? And so from there I spent probably like forty hours over like the course of like two three weeks giving him teachings of like what was happening in Bitcoin, what was happening in Ethereum. So then he set up broader teach-ins for um, not only Deutsche Bank, for other Wall Street firms. And so kind of had this little group of, of a cult following. <laughs> um, and so like I kept getting more and more um, requests if, if I could just manage people's money on this front. Um, the people I knew, like I had background in trading for a while. Um, and so it kind of, as it was getting larger and larger, and that, I guess that number get, got larger and larger, it was just harder to ignore. And so at the same time, I had plans to move into private equity at that point as well. And there was a point where I was talking to my boss about the, all this, and he's like, you know, I know you you have this job to, go, to move into private equity now. Like, why don't you go just work for Bitcoin or Ethereum? I was like, that's not, that's not really a thing to do, but I was like, I'll write your recommendation to the CEO of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's not, a, that's not a th- actually a thing, and which makes me doubt my ability to teach <laughs> any of this stuff. But um, I was like, I have been considering now this, this fund. And so this was like right before the wave of funds started. And so if I think if the wave of funds started before we had gotten going, that would have like turned me off to doing it. Mm-hmm. But like, we had just literally just got started above all of them. And he he was a C, like a seed investor in the fund, and we had a, a really good group of of close guys to seed the fund, and so yeah, that, that kind of kicked it all off. And so as I mentioned Brendan, uh, who's my partner. We had been you know, friends in, at Duke since freshman year. I actually, became really friendly, talking about investments and and all that. We're pretty similar, degenerate since high school on uh, playing poker, trading, and all that. And so we we became friends pretty immediately. And we'd evolved our thesis on the space together. And so he had gone, he's a pretty similar path. Duke, he was at Goldman Investment Banking, then left uh, to go work at a VC fund. And so he was actually pushing their VC fund more and more um, into blockchain type investments. And so he, like, we, it was, it was, it was a very natural thing that we would be working together and doing this. And 
right from the get-go, we also wanted a third partner. So crypto, super small community in 2016. We kind of knew the the land of other people who we thought could be person, personality matches. And Alex Sunaborg was our, our, our first choice of the third partner. And we had a conversation with him, and it was like an immediate click. And so that like that situation of how everything can work out with three people, like extremely lucky. And yeah, I, I don't think that's replicatable at all. But yeah, so that I guess that's that's the, the little evolution. Yeah, that's how Tetris came to be. Yeah. Um, one digression I think it would be important to touch on since you have like a background in PE and evaluating fintech companies is one I don't want to say meme but like one adage that I've heard particularly in fintech that a lot of fintech in the last like 20 years is basically like just UX on top of traditional fintech like there's no new tech and that actually like bitcoin stop saying like already <laughs> Bitcoin is an actual innovation in the fintech arena and we're in the fintech space that hasn't been um it is like an order of magnitude better yeah, than the yeah. fintech that we 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 are used to like so a lot of companies trying to raise money for a fintech quote unquote uh for a fintech company are basically just I know what you're saying. It's, it's Can't say basically either. It's, right? ex it's extremely. What you're saying is like everybody's kind of taking an iteration, an iteration move off of existing tech, and mm -hmm. which that's just extremely hard to do to gain traction. And you have to have a lot of. Ca it's it's a capital game. It's a subscriber acquisition yeah. type game, and like you need capital to do that to pull it off. And that's kind mm -hmm. of birthed massive VC industry. And mm -hmm. like you can't make a a successful company without VC backing, kind of because of that. Um, like what, I guess what you're getting into is it's very hard and like what I'm kind of explaining it's very hard to beat an incumbent and what it's already doing mm -hmm. and like there's this meme buzzword of like you need a 10x improvement over something and so this is kind of the first 10x improvement of something in the financial industry in a, in a while yeah. like you have some derivatives that, that have been able to do that but like this is like a immutable uh, censorship resistant store of value thing that's completely brand new yeah and that's like, ah, fuck. I'm not judging. I know. I'm judging myself. I'm very hard on myself. But it is, it's crazy to see, like, uh, like, because fintech was a buzzword for so long, like fintech, 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 like VCs, like pouring in. And then you get an actual fintech upgrade and a lot of people ignored it for a while until it started knocking on people's doors. Like, hey, I'm here and I'm somewhat better than the fintech that you're investing in um yeah it's it's I, I it's just such a difficult thing to wrap your head around as i was saying it's like why would anybody know what's going on this is like we, when i talk to investors or just people in general they're like like i'm trying to explain like why there like we there is a kind of a serious lack of talent still in the space in a lot of a lot of ways not like the developer side i mean i could work for the rest of my life trying to become a developer on that front, I just couldn't ever get close to like the top hundred people. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, kind of set on that, and like, they're just leagues above everybody. But in terms of like business and how are people actually thinking about this correctly, there's like s still nobody <laughs> like here, right? Um, and, and like that has to do with it's just a, like a very complicated model. It's it's a it's a flip model. So like, you kind of have to be like younger to like have an open mind mm -hmm. about things. Um, that's one and. Like yeah, it's it's just it's like an abstraction. And you kind of have to have like multiple disciplines background to like say well, okay, why does this work? Why is this superior in some regards? It's like you kind of have to have a background in like ten things. Have to be young enough to have an open mind mm -hmm. about it, and like be in the right place at the right time. So like Warren Buffett, like I hate when people in crypto quote Warren Buffett, but this is not about crypto. Like Warren Buffett has a quote. He's like, I'm just I was so lucky to be born like male this time and like have this skill set this time when it was important. And it's like mm -hmm. everybody who is in crypto now and like doing well, it's like it's like you, you were just born kind of at the right time. There's a lot of people who were just like fell into it. Yeah. I'd honestly say that's more the case <laughs> than, than most people now. But like the really dangerous people, it's like how in the world would like having a little bit of a CS background and behavioral finance, like that, that, that didn't make sense before today. Like it made zero sense to combine the two. Exactly. And... That's the beauty of it, the surprise of it all, the black swan of it all. It sort of came out of nowhere and has created this this 
value creation machine, I would say, that, that people are drawn to. And like you just said, if you have the right skill set at the right time, it could be very lucrative in the long run. And it, it definitely does suit a, a certain type of thinker, I would say. Uh, you definitely have to be open-minded. There's You have to question. You have to... To be in this space, you have to openly question the system that we grew up in and sort of what we're used to. And, and it's like I tell people sometimes it's, it's like pretty easy to tell when somebody came into this space because they're kind of all the same personality in like different waves. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it's and like now I would say like we're almost at like the fifth wave and so like the personality that's just coming in now like they're all pretty similar <laughs> so like it's it's like in like a tree you could see like ring signature like then uh, every year like there's a ring in a tree it's kind of the same thing with crypto you're like okay you're per- this X personality type like you probably came in at this point in time yeah it's funny because those personality types just wait for for somebody or from what I've observed, they're just waiting for another type of personality type to say, hey, this is okay, this is cool, we can explore this. And they'll be like, all right, he said it's cool, we can explore it. Um, and it's interesting, especially right now after the the blow-off top that we just experienced in December and the su- subsequent 70 80% crash that we've experienced. Well, uh, what are you quoting? <laughs> Bitcoin. Uh, 19, Since the beginning of the year, it's about fifty uh, percent. Fifty percent. I don't know what it is today, but roughly. Yeah, from the peak, from like nineteen six to it got down to five nine, I believe. So whatever that is. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. That that tests uh, people's ideology, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're, yeah, um, and, and that's it's kind of like I hate when. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep saying this because there's a lot of things that bother me. And as we drink more, it's probably gonna come out more. But like people saying, oh, like I love bear markets. Like nobody likes bear markets, but there is truth into like, it. Creates a better core. Mm-hmm. Um, like whenever that happens, like it flushes out like things that are weak. Like this is the great thing about capitalism and capital markets is that weak things don't last. And so, mm-hmm. like in like when things get shaky, it's like the core there is stronger and stronger. So this is a good segue into your investment thesis and sort of how you approach investing in this space, managing risk in this hyper-volatile market. It's got to be hyper-stressful for you, I would imagine. Um, so what, yeah. is, what is your approach? Like, what are you looking for? I'm going to stop saying like, I promise you freaks. What are you looking for? I'm honestly not, I, I can't even tell you're saying that. That's because we're both millennials and we're used to it. Um <laughs> So from an investment thesis, what are you looking for? How are you managing risk? I don't get any particulars of your fund or anything, but from a personal standpoint, how are you managing risk in this space at this moment? And how has that uh, risk management perspective changed over time? Yeah, so I, first of all, like, to speak more abstractly, I think there are like three different ways to invest. Like, There's three distinct different ways of investing there's the fundamental value investing there's two relative value investing and three momentum uh, like trading like over almost entirely the space right now is momentum trading and so that's like what speculators do like mm-hmm. you don't have a perspective on value um basically nobody's a fundamental value investor like you have like distressed shops that that do do that so like what are, like and i think people's perception of what fundamental value is is wrong fundamental value is like you can trade this in for like there's like arbitrage on like I could trade this in for something higher. There's a reason why it's acting weird. Mm-hmm. Nothing in crypto has any fundamental value because it's there's nothing that you could trade in it for. Like if maybe if there was an asset that was pegged to something and the 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 peg got off and you're buying that asset cheap relative to like what it should be and you could trade in like that's the fundamental value bet. Virtually everybody is a relative value investor and so that is like coming up with your own assumptions on risk and like either cash flows in the future. So like really there's only ever two variables that have to go into like pricing assets. It's like cash flows in the future and you could incorporate capital appreciation there and then just like pers- like risk of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so the market pretty much com- always operates like relative value investing and like then that's like cycles like are like kind of naturally happen, like debt cycles and all that. That's completely tangential thought. But so in, in that framework, and what I said was like this whole market is almost entirely momentum trading. It's like you can have your perspective of like what is like actual good, real, like relative value, like what, what is better than everything, but you're probably going to be wrong, especially in a hyper, super speculative market. And so like, like what I t- try to do is 
to solve for that and kind of get the best um, risk reward within this parameters of like liquidity and volatility, like, I break it down into like three categories at every given time. So this is like the base framework of how I think about the space. So the first bucket is like, what is something that I believe in for like a year or more going forward? That's like, where does value accrue to? Like people say network effects. Where like, what am I confident is going to be there and increase in value for more than a year now? Um, middle bucket is like more of like a three to four month time horizon. So that's not like having a perspective longer term, but that's more of like kind of like macro ar- information arbitrage. So like something that's been like a good example of that in this space has been like privacy tokens. So like developers have been super excited about that for like last two years a year, mm-hmm. like super super excited, and that didn't really trickle into the market until like later stage. And so that was a pretty good example of like information that was like pretty clear gonna move over into the space in a wider like so that's like a thesis driven trade. Yeah. Um, and so the final bucket is catalyst-driven trading. And so that is very short-term. This X is going to happen, so we're positioning ourselves best for that. The shit coin's going to get added to Bittrex, and we're going to... Like a, good, a good example of that would be, like, over SegWit2x, if, like if you wanted to properly position your portfolio, like, you probably had to hold some um, Bitcoin cash. Because, mm-hmm. like, we, we like I, I thought that, you know, the SegWit2x what was going on in that kind of inflated Bitcoin's price because of this free narrative token to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, and it so was unclear what was going to happen with that 2X on the side. And so Similar to what happened with Z Classic and the Bitcoin private. Well, so like, we can talk about that and like what Bitcoin cash fork. But it was like, every, like Bitcoin cash fork was this super like, value creative event for this like Bitcoin as a whole. And so what happened that everybody thought oh, any fork is fantastic now and so like everybody dumped back into bitcoin mm-hmm. heading into that and so that was like you could kind of if you're taking yourself away and you're like just looking at market participants who are buyers and sellers it was clear that that was was going on and it was going to be a sale after that and it was it was like looking back it was super crazy like free tokens for like if you look back <laughs> at like twitter in november it's like i want my free token or whatever i want my platinum my gold my private yeah I want so it all. um like like we like we actually like like that was a good time period of where like you know, Bitcoin was probably like in the near term overbought, and there was this pretty good time period of like, okay, there are, we know there are big blockers in this space, and so there's a there's a chance that the Segwit two X doesn't work. What happens if it doesn't? Where are they going? And so it was clear that they're all going to go to Bitcoin Cash at that time period. So. I really don't have a long-term perspective on Bitcoin Cash, but that's mm-hmm. like a pretty good example of a, like a catalyst-driven trade. Yeah, that was definitely a huge narrative going into the end of last year. It's still going on, and this is another perfect segue into into uh, the debate. Crypto Samson Twitter was on fire today. Uh, Samson and uh, Samson and Roger Ver, Vitalik got up called called Craig Wright a fraud. Deservedly so. It was interesting to see. Like it, it's literally there's a full 180 in like the whole ecosystem. Like I, let me say, most people had their perspective. It was like now, like it's like you can't say anything positive <laughs> <laughs> right? about him. Yeah, um, that happened pretty quickly though within like the last 24 hours. All right, so let's break it down. For those of you freaks that don't don't know what what we're talking about, um, while we were sleeping last night here in New York City, there is a um, conference going on in Seoul, South Korea. Uh the economy. The economy. Yeah. Uh and there were uh, a lot of a lot of big players in the in the crypto world, if you want to say that. I I hate saying that because it's supposed to be like a decentralized no idols type type system. But OGs. <laughs> let's be frank, yeah. There were some OGs yeah. there. Huge debate between Roger Ver and Samson Mao over the the uh Differences between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and the value propositions of each protocol. Uh, at one point towards the end of the talk, Vitalik Buterin was given a mic uh, in the crowd and he called out Craig Wright uh, for being a fraud and called out the conference for having him there, which I think very admirable, Vitalik. That dude should be called out. He is a fraud in my mind. Uh, a rambler, if you will. Makes no sense. Can't put a code coherent thought together and it's basically a scammer um but with that being said vitalik was tweeting throughout the event and that blew up on crypto twitter everybody was 
was patent Vitalik on the back for for being the 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 genius child that he is and and being so prescient and and being able to put everything into a tweet tweet thread and in very concise form but i got on the newsletter today i was like hey it was like a cool cool thread that he did that he was live tweeting this event but i don't agree with everything he was saying like so let's i like at first i made a comment i was like why are you live tweeting anything <coughs> and then i realized how like crazy everything was going on and so it was like okay yeah like, thank you for live <laughs> tweeting this <laughs> yeah but he brought some of his own uh his own bias into into the thread which perturbed me a little bit um so I'm trying to f- figure out my mind right now. I'm thinking on the go how to structure this question. So let's start with the Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash uh, debate that went on. Uh, and the crux of the debate, from what I can tell from what I watched on YouTube, from what I've seen on Twitter, was uh, that Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash believes that the value proposition of the system is a medium of exchange and that <laughs> it should be a medium of exchange out of box out of the box and that is what gives bitcoin cash its value whereas samson mal arguing for bitcoin was saying that we need to move slow and steady and establish bitcoin as a store of value first before it moves to a medium of exchange because you need to have that base layer of store of value um to then move to a medium of exchange and you have need to have a saturated value filled market where you can enable a medium of exchange where exchanging the token does not uh, move the price too much. Um, so let's get into the economics of this. And I'm obviously on the side of Samson Mao. Uh, and we can tie, we're going to tie Vitalik's thread into this as well. Cause Vitalik, we, I think, I think those are two different discussions, which we could, we could go Bitcoin to ETH after, but yeah, there, I don't want to talk about Ethereum at all, but Vitalik we, we, was, and we, we, let's, let's shelf that. We could talk about that after. Yeah. But, we'll talk yeah. about that after, but Vitalik was, was siding with Roger Ver saying, I agree. I think medium of exchange out of the box. Yeah. And I would say like people who are prone to lean towards ETH also believe in Bitcoin cash somehow. Yeah. Like you have like a weird divergence in communities where Ethereum people are more prone to like think Bitcoin cash is like mm-hmm. the, the, where like the future is. I think there are like reasons for that. Um, and I think it comes down to, <clears throat> Like I like almost like a the philosophical disagreement at like its base l- level is does like making something does increasing usage make something more valuable or do you need something to be valuable to begin with and then like you, like use will come after right mm-hmm. so like I I personally fall towards the the Bitcoin BTC uh, side as well um, and it's going back to what we talked about like five minutes ago. Like where is like the 10x improvement in this technology? The 10x improvement in the technology is in this like immutable, unseizable store of value. Like this is something we've never had had before. So to compromise that in any way is like removing its value proposition. It's a so, non-starter in my opinion. Yeah. So, like I like like heading into the like I've always actually been on the side of like I think maybe we should increase the block size, but if the community doesn't want to do that then why fight <laughs> like i'm not smarter than m- the most of these guys who, who and like they're they're really good like I, I thought like the 2x may be okay i wasn't a supporter of segwit 2x because i thought just how it came about was just in the wrong way like i think like well, let's see what happens for like the next year and then we'll move from there and that's always kind of been my position bitcoin cash just being like f it like let's just do this and then getting support it was just like that also just happened in a really weird way um so, like, in my mind, like, it was, like, a secession from the union. And, like, uh, like in my mind, it, it doesn't really ha- – shouldn't have a claim to, like, the Bitcoin name. It's like saying, like, when a state wants to succeed from the United States, it calling itself the United States, like, makes sense, right? No. So, it's like, like I, I had – I forget who I had this, this, this conversation with, but it was like – they were like, oh, like, a soft fork is changing. Like, SegWit changes the protocol as well, but it's like – that's like saying every time like you add an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, you have to change the name. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's done in a way where there's like state buy-in. It's like yeah. you, you introduce something and then there's gradual buy-in. So that's like, like for ex- like you have to look at existing government models. It's like that has been a lot more, more <laughs> successful. Like let's not just like create this clear rip 
and like figure it out. It's like the the doing soft fork is a much more delicate and thoughtful process of it all because it's completely opt in yeah. and backwards compatible. So people that don't want to utilize SegWit don't have to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I think the idea is that it'll eventually you know get close to ninety hundred percent, but it's like it's all like Bitcoin's culture is like I don't force you to do anything. Exactly. So it's it's like don't. <laughs> It's like, don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. Mm-hmm. Which is like still really the only place where that exists, like in all of crypto. So like I think that's like the special part of Bitcoin. I do as well. And it's interesting to see all these altcoin developers and, and, and yeah, like figureheads. I, I, I honestly don't blame them because I think it's an extremely nuanced argument. Like it's it's really difficult to explain why increase like the like keeping the block size where it is is actually probably better. Because like, and this is what's confusing to most people who are coming in new to to the space is like, well, Bitcoin Cash has like lower. It's like, in terms of like transacting, it's probably better. It's like, yeah, but you're compromising. Like, why why don't you just use Venmo? It's better like, to a point though. Like, like and it, that's it, my whole point. Is I mean, like, what we, are you gonna we, do? We, raise I, the bl- let, block size forever? Let's just, like, let's just accept all. Like, this is what I, I like to do. Is like, I'll accept for for a theorem. I'll say this. Well. It's like, I'll accept everything that you say that's gonna happen. But like, let's go, and then let's go from there. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're like they haven't. First of all, like there's not enough like really talented like protocol engineers to 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 work on it in a significant way to make these like maybe that happens. Maybe they develop more talent, but like I don't think there's like more than really ten like super strong dudes working on it. Whereas like in Bitcoin, they're easily 60, <laughs> 60 um, and like and that's a growing number as well. Like you don't really see like kids out of college saying I'm going to join Bitcoin Cash like the no, whatever core is it Bitcoin Cash core <laughs> or the, what do they even call <laughs> Bitcoin ABCs or code base I'm not sure what they're like, like a, yeah like what is the process for is it just <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure I'm know. pretty sure they like at one point like, like, what people don't understand is Bitcoin core isn't like a group of people it's like a meritocratic process mm-hmm. and so you, you you kind of get into it quotes by like building your reputation, and mm-hmm. so like it's just like how merit, merit, meritocracy <laughs> works. It's like you're a waste of people's time if like you honestly don't know what you're talking about. So that brings <clears throat> people take that as being toxic. No, and like and you I, are and, toxic, and, Tom. Don't, don't bring this toxicity into the barstool no, like, offices. And, and I and I totally get that argument. It's, it's like a little bit elitist, right? But it's I mean, it's, it's just how reality works. It's like you. you and like, and they're if, if like they're like all I would say all of most of Bitcoin core. If you're coming to them in like an academic way, being like I want to learn about this, almost everybody is extremely happy to like spend as much time with you as whatever. But I don't know, just a lot of how like I feel like Bitcoin Cash, like really what it is now is like I hate Bitcoin Core, and that's what like t- holds us together. We're here despite them. It's no like I like I think really the only thing that ties the everybody together there is like they just hate bitcoin core yeah it's just which is you never or, or, you never want to build newer. you never want to build a project out of spite which seems or, yeah, like what's or, happening or they're newer and they have like they don't think they see the whole picture of how all this works and they're like oh the transactions like we need to make this new exchange so like getting back to that is like where this all brought up is it's like there are so many better ways of like using a medium exchange today and there's so much like companies and global that like we have you have so many different rails of like sending money right mm-hmm. it's the holding money that's the that's the novel part the holding money and having it keep its value that's the novel <laughs> that's, part that's com- that's really the most novel part of all of this <laughs> and so like why would you like try and compromise that at all like i get it it's like you're trying to get more adoption near term for like creating like a more functional thing conceptually i get, i understand that, that argument this is kind of what ethereum is doing as well mm-hmm. um but like it's not it's it's a, it's a, it's a honestly it's a pretty nuanced thing so like i'm sympathetic and like i i don't like shut down the other side like i like to hear like i also trading so like i need to understand what the market psychology is all the time so like I, I generally <laughs> like to hear the full extent of what, what people think, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I think what it boils down to is people are just focusing on like layer one of this whole like debate, and it's like if you spend time and think think about it, like it's much more complicated than than what you saw before, and like there's really only one answer. Yeah, and there's two things I want to touch on here. First, going back to your comment on elitism. 
people shouldn't be like in a meritocracy, and which Bitcoin is, in my opinion. People that argue like people that argue elitism are small-minded. It, it reminds me of a quote that my high school lacrosse coach used to not physically beat into us, but mentally like, repeat to us is that you're, and this is this is actually a great a great pun for the blockchain space is that you're only as strong as your weakest link in the chain. And when it comes to value securing networks like Bitcoin, you don't want any subpar developer working on that code base in my mind you want I, I almost even think that's just irrelevant like that's just a part of like that's like part number 12 of like the explaining what's the difference between the two but like say like for like equal equal to equal that's what's going on which it's not like it's like just conceptually they're, they're just, i think they're just fundamentally wrong they just have like a fundamental wrong view of of Saying reality is probably too harsh, but like of how just value works, right? Mm -hmm. It's the creating a better medium of exchange isn't a 10x better improvement over the current structure of like like society and the uh, and the economy. Yeah. Like we we have fantastic ways of getting value around. It's just the immutable part of like not somebody not being able to like shut you down. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So and like. That is only getting better of like being able to go from holding value to transitioning into medium. Like that's what the main part of it, like Bitcoin is working on now. So that's like an inevitable thing. It's like it's obviously it's not doing that perfectly now. Like there's clunkiness to it. Virtually there's no user interface for it. But it's like you have to preserve the core part of the value. And exactly. So, and and it gets down to, so that's the part. It's like that's what's valuable. And then if you want to say, okay, maybe this is the best medium of exchange that's ever existed, I'll take that side of the argument. Then you have to look at total addressable market. It's like, okay, how do we actually value? So when we say Bitcoin Cash becomes the best medium of exchange that's ever existed. And then you have Bitcoin, <laughs> which is this fantastically new type of asset. That is like a store of value, right? So store of value versus medium exchange. Let's look at like what is the total addressable market there. The store of value total addressable market is like orders orders of magnitude <laughs> greater than that. Like no, like you can't you don't really make you don't break into the trillions by being a great way of moving money around. It's this extremely small spread. It's like th that's a payment rail. Payment rails really aren't valuable. No. Like, and then when you're talking about these fixed supply systems that blockchains are who knows what bitcoin cash's plans in the future are maybe they'll add inflation to their network but when you're when you're marketing a medium of exchange out of the box you're really really pushing for the velocity to to, yeah, I mean, to get jacked up which will dilute your your value not dilute your value but depreciate the value because it's everybody i think everybody's problem is they're thinking about static models and just not dynamic economic models mm -hmm. like why would anybody like it's the question it's like if you're thinking of like a steady state or like one or two iterations on it like that makes sense when you're thinking of like okay this working over like years and years of time like then what's going to happen it's yeah like you have this inherent velocity problem which, which I think has been over, like it's been over talked about, and I don't think people completely understand what that means. It's saying like, what it boils down to is th the only way things get ha have value is if people hold on to them. People are willing to hold on to them. Yeah, and so like, if nobody wants to hold on to it, it's like the water versus diamonds debate. It's like water is. What is that debate? I never heard that debate. I mean, I don't know if it's like a well <laughs> debate. This is what me and Brendan uh, talk about. It's like, obviously, if you're you, you like water, uh, this is my Jersey accent. Water, water. We got the Philly, uh, South Jersey, God. Philly crew yeah. in the house. We're going to get watermelon. We're going to get water ice. We're going to get it all. I've, and uh, like I spent some time in, in London. Every, every every time I say that, like, literally nobody understands what I'm talking. I got about. water beat out of me in Charleston, South Carolina. They're like, what no, are you I'm saying? Sure, I'm sure my friends. Well, <laughs> what are you saying? What are you saying? Is water? We yeah, drink H2O, water H2O, down H2O. here. It's H2O and, and diamonds. Like, you need you need H2O more than you need diamonds. <laughs> but like water, there's no scarcity to it. And so if you, it's it's like almost more about like. Uh, um, situational opportunity cost. It's like, what do you need now? Like, like there's no ever like situational opportunity cost to like not holding or holding w w 
H2O. Mm-hmm. So it's always there. So that that's the problem that happens with anything that people are just aren't holding, right? It's just it's out there for anybody. So it's like what the, the price is like nothing. Yeah. It's unless you have like a market maker who's artificially propping it up, and that's kind of what uh, central banks have had to do. So that's what happened with with um, the UK with Soros. It's like they they were holding the ground. Like you have to have somebody who's either a central market maker, or you have to have a peg for that not to like slip crazy out. Mm-hmm. So this is like an economic like value at the end of the day boils down to economics, not technology. Like the features are great, but it's like you could have this fantastic Rube Goldberg machine. And like, well, what does it do, and why do people like need it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like it's, economics at the end of the day is psychology, and it's what willing, yeah, what it, people are willing to. So like, a, like I mean, the, the, I think yeah, that you're bringing him to like a even like more higher part of this conversation. Like everything is psychology. We get like, cosmic here. We get it's cosmic like, it's, here. It's like I mean, just, this is like just how I think about markets in general too. Like I abstract a little bit away from like relative value. Or fundamental value, but just by knowing where buyers and sellers are all the time, and so like most people, it's really hard to do, and like you have to have like your discipline and protocols in place, so like so that's like most people just go broke by doing it. So that's like kind of why you need to have like a, a layered approach to that because it's really easy to trick yourself that you know more information than you do, but like markets are completely rational in reflecting the current market participant's psychology. So if you know the marketplace's psychology and the inflow and outflow of market participants, then you understand the marketplace. So crypto is completely rational once you understand like who are the participants are like early stage degens, mm-hmm. like technologists and like entrepreneurs who like found this like relatively early and have now have crude some and now like I would, say, I would say like VC type people. And so they have a very specific type of view of how the world works. And I think that view only works in a certain framework and certain like niche area of like companies. And so they're extending this view of like spray and pray on like interesting technology. And so this is why like everything has value. <laughs> and um, so they're, they're taking this like anything that has a good team and interesting technology has value. And they're not thinking about any like ag- like they're not there's no discipline in terms of, OK, this may be overvalued like to me. Like I think Crypto Kitties is like a like a fantastic idea, like super interesting. But them raising the amount of money that they just did is like, to me, that was like a, an example of a band overvaluation. <laughs> yeah, it's Lightning Network goes out and raises two point five million, and Crypto Kitties goes out and raises almost six times that. And it's like, and, and like the pushback I've got. What's the I've value said- that Crypto Kitties gonna gonna prevent? provide over lightning network and what's the justification for that value valuation or that raise and it let's not let's not even think relatively let's say it's, it's just like it's a, a it's it's i don't know what the what the i don't know what the exact valuation is I, I didn't look into it but um let's say it's like roughly like 40 or whatever like the, that round put it at so they're putting 40 million like they're, they're attributing a 40 million ish uh valuation that may be light. I don't know. It's like roughly around that number. Um, to essentially one person be able to replicate that idea, and so it's not like they're even betting on an idea. They're 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 taking like compounded to the fourth risk on that. <laughs> and so it's not only like Ethereum can handle this or whatever technology can handle like this happening and like full scale. Two is like is there actual going to be a real marketplace for this to that people attribute value to it? Three is the idea like going to be fantastic like Crypto Kitties, and four is the person going to be able to like actually pull that off. Mm-hmm. So like that's like you're like that's comp that's it's compound. a fourth abstraction. <laughs> yeah, like. it, it's and this is why like like a good seed investment is like a million dollars, and like or if that and like that's an early stage idea, and like it's like you. People have gotten really away from valuation in this space because it's it's like we've been in like now not not even controversial we've been in like peak hysteria mode and Mm -hmm. it's like I'm gonna be late to the party like massive FOMO and so it's like I just need exposure to this and like and like I think like not to like throw shade at like all VCs because I think there's some like massively talented and super smart guys that like I don't compare to Um, but just VC as a culture is like very relationship driven, very FOMO driven. And so there's like three like really solid VCs out there and like the rest kind of follow. 
follow suit. So it's like a very herd mentality type game. It is. It is. And how much of that VC culture... How am I going to frame this? How much of that VC culture sort of connects to the easy monetary policy that's gone on in this country? Do you think it's just... There's been like a ton of easy money and, and the culture of spray and pray has worked out for at least I mean, a good like amount. And like there have been periods of time where you just needed a seat in a certain industry and you made a lot of money. Like Wall Street in the 80s was that. Right? Yeah, so BC in the last like 10, 15 years has been that. So, so that's been my point. Think they're a lot smarter than they are. So, yes, yeah. exactly. So going back to like Nassim Taleb, fooled by randomness, like Nero and his neighbor. Nero had the very conservative approach to markets and his neighbor got lucky in a bull market and... and bought multiple houses multiple cars then a black swan event happens and yeah. it gets wiped out and i feel like I, I can't speak to this because i've never been a vc never worked for a venture capitalist fund i've worked on the valuation side where we valued pe portfolios and that was an eye-opening experience for me actually this is going to diverge here a little bit but like working for evaluations firm and evaluate evaluating pe firms portfolios was eye-opening did you go like company by company or, or what did you do yeah yeah so the valuations firm i worked for shout out mary divine in philadelphia if you're looking for a third-party valuation <laughs> hit them up um free, free ad. <laughs> yeah i can't talk about the particular companies that we're valuing but the pe firms like bain capital um hamilton lane a few others and you get you get down to like the nitty-gritty the balance sheets of these companies it's like oh my god like you're basically just loading these guys up with debt. Like it, it's, it's it's all a balance sheet game. So that, that the was day. the world that I just previously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, at. I know. I know. So I was. Yeah, the, I'm in it. I was in it too. But it, 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 no, it, no, you it, have to ask those hard questions. Like, is this just like a balance sheet game at the end of the day? And it seems like that. And well, like, finding it, true value is very hard in this world. At least in, and like, and I, I just don't know the answer to this. It's just it's it's just different. It's different. Um, like what, what what works in different spaces is is just different. So like VCs, like you do need to be like the social chair type personality to like know everything that's going on, right? And so that's and obviously a lot more than that. But you you definitely need that aspect of it um, to be like a really good um, a hedge fund or private equity guy. You, you have to be contrarian. Like you have to think the market's wrong about something. And it's always about mm -hmm. like what is our edge, right? So it's a completely different framework. Of thinking and so like in a lot of ways i think crypto is like this head-on of like silicon valley wall street and we've had like the early move of silicon valley and wall street is yet to come in my opinion i think wall street personalities are going to dominate the the space when they do come in because there's just so much more discipline let's get into yeah. that why what? why do you think so so it's like this just, is this is a, li a liquid mar mar market. <laughs> no, like there's a lot there's a lot of reasons. So like I I'm not saying VCs don't have a place. Like I still think they have the, um, the really early, like the early stage finding like people want to build things right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I, but like in some ways I think the people who are really good are already kind of here. Like blockchain capital, like yeah. they like you look at their portfolios like home run after home run, and it's like. Like Spencer's a smart guy. Yeah, and the whole, the whole team there is. Um, and like they're not really taking plays on tokens though. Like they're it's like infrastructure type stuff. Smart play. And so, like, VCs getting involved in like the tokens doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. It's like well, first of all, I don't think the tokens are worth <laughs> anything. <laughs> but like they're they're they are just like playing. They're kind of taking the worst of both worlds in a lot of ways, where they're taking a long term view. And they have like the the wrong long term view, and they're not taking advantage of liquidity. So they're playing in the space, and they're like they're advertising that liquidity is awesome, but they're a VC, and like they're uh, taking a five term five year time horizon anyway. And so like they're just like so it's like kind of like contradicting itself. It's like like uh, like I, I don't it just doesn't make any sense to me. And like most of the invest like this is why there's a I think the bubble in like the SAFT space, so the simple agreement for future tokens. Mm -hmm. It's just going to keep lasting because it's the only space that VCs can play and because of, like, the custody part. Let's but. get into the ethics of that, though. Like, so the VCs, the ethics of it is, or not the ethics of it, the mechanics of it to this point is the VCs 
get word, hey, we're going to have this token sale. We're going to do a pre-sale. We're going to let you accredited invest- investors get, get, get first buy-in. And they do that. The tokens get pumped. The ERC-20, like somebody pumps it on Twitter or something happens. A story comes out. A narrative comes out. Retail investors are frothing at the bit to get in on it. And as soon as the token goes live, you have a 20% pop. These VCs have a fiduciary responsibility to sell that pop. And well, I, I think their view is that the token's going to be worth a lot more. So, like, they wouldn't have gotten that position if it was going to be short because that's just not their bread and butter. So, like, I think they genuinely believe those tokens are going to be worth a lot and they're taking a five year time horizon. Why, why are they wrong? Of why that's not, those aren't valuable? Yes. Let's get into it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's get into um, it. I, I think, like, you, you like, I, uh, the podcast I've, I've heard you would be like, utility tokens don't make any sense to me. They don't. And then you're like, I'm stupid, so I don't know. You're not stupid. <laughs> 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 uh, they. So this is going to like the velocity and in, in, um, like hyperinflation problem. It's if, the, if the, like, so there are th- utility tokens that make sense, but they really only make sense if they're pegged to something, and that's not like sexy to put out off like as an offer it. Like you want this to be, oh, this is the currency of the system because then there's like could be perceived that there like could be network effects and it's worth a lot more. Just when that system operates in steady state eventually or, or doesn't, um, then like why would it be worth anything? So it's like mm-hmm. if you go into – so if like Disney has – like this is a pretty tangible example for people to understand. Like Disney has issues a bunch of X currency, right? And it's like you could only use it there. Why would you hold it if if you don't live at Disney, <laughs> right? Yeah. So unless it's like like what like the only way they they make value, and this is like Disney like has done this in like or like Disney d- downtown or whatever. Like they've had like their actual currencies. They they keep like like it kind of as like a peg where like this util you can trade in X dollar or something for this utility, and so they have like a base layer peg, and then things that are more interesting can be higher off of that and priced off of that. Um, but if you don't do that, then why is it worth anything? And if you don't do that, why the reason why it's not going to be worth anything is because like there's this the full essentially the full um, supply of the money that they put out is is probably going to be hitting like th- is going to be used like daily. And mm-hmm. so the velocity of that, I don't think it's unreasonable to say it's like 300 over 300, right? So like the normal economy or the normal like mature like economy has about like a velocity of about five times, and mm-hmm. and that like and that and just nat- natural uh, demand increasing has a effect of like producing like a two to four percent inflation rate. So if you're jacking that up and jacking velocity up, the like the the money supply the effective money supply is like that much higher. So there's that much more dollars chasing product, and so the pers- the people who are pricing the product are just not like they're going to make the common sense decision to increase the product's price to that like utility token, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what inflation is. Yeah. Like a lot, I think a lot of people have a misconception of what inflation is, where they think like more money supply is inflation. That's actually not the definition of inflation. Inflation is you're losing purchasing, purchasing power. power. Yeah. yeah. Just increasing money supply does that naturally. Yes. So yes. Like increasing money supply is inflationary inherently. Yes. And so like you have this problem. It's just no, but there's no economists <laughs> in crypto <laughs> who are saying this is a bad idea. Um, I think like maybe they work out by like the, you have like a central authority saying this is the peg. And so then you're, you're losing a lot of value proposition and it's the whole reason we're exactly it's becoming centralized again that you could or you could just make it by code and saying this is what this is but that's hard to do if you're creating uh like a free market or like a double-sided market yes and it's it's amazing like i've been told not to say that i'm stupid on this podcast a lot but i feel stupid sometimes but then do, i talked to do you, you listen to jordan peterson yes he's like don't don't say or let people tell you things that make you weak. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't let them. Don't let don't let don't say things or don't let people say things to you that make you weak. So it's like saying like I'm dumb is like example of that. All right, well I'm the smartest motherfucker <laughs> on, this, on this planet. You all heard it here first. You're all dumber than me. But I think that that that's a good tip. Actually, I'm gonna take that with me. No more saying I'm dumb. I'm the smartest motherfucker in the world now. I'm really smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But taking that line of thought, I came into this space because, and that's after so many years of observing and being, I would, I would, I would put myself out there and say I'm involved in this space now. I've got some skin in the game, uh, putting my reputation out there. I would say you're involved in the space. Um, (laughs) But Bitcoin, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, hit me. uh, I'm famous on the MLB network. but I think one of the apprehensions I have of putting myself out there for the first few years where I was just like a silent observer in the background was, hey, I don't get the tech of this all. Like the tech side, like, I I mean, I understand the mechanics of a blockchain and how it works. But when it comes to writing the code that makes these blockchains work, like I feel powerless to an extent. But after years and years of experience, I'm coming to find that a lot of these tech-minded people don't have an economic understanding at all, and like, yeah, th- you don't. You don't like Nick Sabo had a had a tweet out the other the the other it was the last week or two weeks, and he's like, if you if you could choose between tech or um, economists, like in blockchain, you'd probably want tech because a lot of stuff is just common sense, mm-hmm. which is true. <laughs> but like a person who's had more experience in markets just I think understands like weird situations and what could happen at a macro level, and so it's a very value add property. Right. Um, but like ultimately, it is more com- you can extrapolate and get to common sense things by having. It's like more tech people are like more. They think very micro. Um, I'm like not speak. I'm saying like vanilla tech person. Um, I think they're crazy smart. Like, if I'm going to talk, if I'm choosing between one or two, I'd definitely go with a tech person. They're just going to be probably smarter. Talking about when I say tech, like an engineer, mm-hmm. um, I think people have overemphasized software engineers in the space of just like tinkering and tooling around. Like a software engineer doesn't mean you understand actually what's going on at the protocol level. Yeah. It means you can manipulate the protocol in a way that. Ish. Yeah. But. One thing I've been coming to find is a lot of these people that are hyper-focused on the technology side don't understand the economics and how it's going to play in the long term. And that's why I got perturbed with Vitalik's tweet thread in particular today when he was referencing that book by Gabner, Geibner, um, Debt, 5,000 Years of Debt. Yeah. Debt, a 5,000-year history or whatever. And he completely, I mean, first of all, if you've read that book and read the critiques of that book, you know that 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 that, that literature stands on shoddy arguments and basically tries to argue that medium of exchange became came before store value. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's an example of a medium of exchange that was established without that didn't have store value properties and it wasn't it wasn't done in a mandated way. Right. So, like, gold was actually done in a mandated way as well, in in some ways, and that's like when gold's value has gone up. Um, but gold's also just very deeply ingrained in like human psychology. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like almost every, like I think Sabo actually retweeted at him as well. It's like that's not <laughs> that's right. Not true. But <laughs> so yeah. that's what like, so I had an uh, I had an aha moment today. Where I was like, you don't understand like economics and the history of money, which is well, how how old is he? Twenty four. He's our age. Yeah. So yeah, I just turned twenty five. The it's and like I mean I, I'm essentially making arguments against myself in a lot of ways, but like it, you could be smart and not have wisdom. And it's like it, like making decisions for like governance like takes wisdom. And mm-hmm. so it's like we had like the founding fathers of the U.S., which I hate going into like this type, type of analogy, but it's like what made it work was wisdom. Like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin realizing that they needed to step back. Right, and they're like Satoshi I can't, yeah. realizing he needs no, to step no, no, back. No, that's why I'm saying it. It's it's like I think he I think he did it for more more than that reason, but I think that was definitely part of it. Um, but yeah, like if you want something to be like decentralized, if that's actual like the priority, if you want this like ecosystem, like you have to like bite your tongue. And I'm not like I'm that's not a, that's not a direct comment to to him, but it's just like a broader comment of like how do you achieve that. It's like you just you can't have people who having who have undue influence, um, and like it's a central point of failure that a lot of people like when people always produce these models of like oh what protocol is most decentralized like they're always leaving that part out. It's like how how like are there several people who are like the main part of this? Mm-hmm. It's like that's always left out. Yeah, the the founder centralization is and again going back to the multiple aspects of 
this space, like technical, economic, and then psychological, which probably encapsulates everything to an extent. It's probably a part of everything to an extent, but again... So say that again? I missed that. So putting together like the technical, the economics, and then the psychological is is like a, like more than anything I'm beginning to believe is that this is a psychological phenomenon. Yeah, no, it's... it's like this is like the area that I've been obsessed with. So, uh, like behavioral finance, right? Um, and we're going to end it there for right now. We'll be back with the second half of this conversation on Thursday. If you guys like this conversation, please follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Garambone. Uh, also, if you like this podcast, please share it with friends, rate review, spread the word. Any anything helps. We're looking to to expand this and and bring crypto to to a bigger audience. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the rest of your day, and we'll be back on Thursday. Peace and love. <laughs>